Our first scripture reading this morning comes from the first book of Thessalonians. You can find it on page 247 of the New Testament. It's Thessalonians 1, verses uh, 1 through 6. Let's listen to what the Spirit is saying to the church this morning. Paul, Sylvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We always give thanks to God for all of you and mention you in our prayers, constantly remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, beloved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our message of the gospel came to you, not in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. Just as you know what kind of people we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For in spite of persecution, you received the word with joy and were inspired by the Holy Spirit. The word of the Lord. One of the best things about being the preacher is you get to give the other person the hard word reading. Um, thank you, Andrew. Our second reading comes from the Old Testament this morning, from the ancient book of Exodus. Um, once again, this morning, we're uh, looking at a text in which uh, the human in the divine human relationship uh, argues with God, debates with God, uh, tries to redirect God's plans for us, for humanity, for the people of God. Um, listen now for what the Spirit is saying to all of us, to the church today in Exodus chapter 33, beginning with the 12th verse. Moses said to the Lord, See, you have said to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, if I have found favor in your sight, show me your ways, so that I may know you and find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. God said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And Moses said to him, if your presence will not go, do not carry us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your, your sight, I and your people, unless you go with us? In this way, we shall be distinct, I and your people, from every people on the face of the earth. The Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, show me your glory, I pray. And God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim before you the name, the Lord, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, God said, you cannot see my face, because no one shall see me and live. The word of the Lord. Please pray with me. 
Oh God, as we, just as Moses did, struggle with your word to us, and from our hearts share our questions and our thoughts and our love for you, may our meditations this morning on your word be acceptable in your sight and bring us closer to you and to one another and to ourselves, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Have you ever needed just a little bit of alone time? I have to admit that um, there are moments when I just don't need to see a Presbyterian. You know, they're very, very few, but I don't know about you, and this surprises some people, but on those, you know, popular personality inventory, uh, like Myers-Briggs or the Enneagram, I score as a pretty high introvert. Because that doesn't mean that I don't like people. I do like people. It doesn't mean that I don't love you. I love you. I really do love you. Even if I wasn't being paid to say that, I, I still do. What I mean by an introvert is if you don't see me coming toward you on the sidewalk, you might not see me. Just because people like me sometimes need some extra alone time to recharge. All of us need alone time. Many, many years ago, uh, I took a new friend. Those days we called them girlfriends. I think they're called partners now. I took a new friend in New York City to the apartment of this couple who were very old, dear friends of mine. Actually, I met them in Seattle, but we all moved to New York in different times. Um, And at dinner, I was quiet. Um, I didn't say much, which my new friend couldn't quite get her head around. She knew, apparently she thought, I was a talkative person. Can you believe it? I don't know. Everybody else was laughing and getting to know each other in the kitchen, and I was off in the living room quietly thumbing through one of their books. But because New York City apartments are small, I could overhear my new friend say to my old friends, why is he like that? And Caroline, Tom's wife, these dear longtime friends of mine, said, because here he can be. You know, that was a great gift to me. And she obviously knows me. We all need alone time occasionally to clear our heads and to relieve stress. And if you're an introvert, you need alone time to recharge. Introverts uh, need that. Extroverts get their energy from being around people. Introverts like being around people, but then we go take a nap. That's what we do. Um, We all need time to space to recharge. So it's hard to imagine what it's like for prominent people who are always surrounded by people 24-7. Think about actors and singers and the President of the United States. Just last week, I heard that Taylor Swift's new boyfriend, the football player Travis Kelsey, caused a viral sensation when he apparently told her security guards to back off, he was going to take it from here. Now, he is six foot five, 250. I guess he can do that. According to White House legend, early in the days of the administration of President Jimmy Carter, one of my personal all-time heroes, 
The president excused himself from the Oval Office and went to the restroom just down the hall. And while having that rare bit of alone time, President Carter pushed a button which he assumed would flush the toilet. Unfortunately, it was the panic button, meant to summon immediate help in case of danger, and Secret Service agents with their guns drawn kicked in the stall door to make sure the president was okay, much to his embarrassment. That sounds like something Jimmy Carter would do, and I love that guy. To give the other side of the aisle equal time, it's been said that President Reagan one time made his Secret Service agents dress up as Easter bunnies so they could guard him at the annual White House Easter egg hunt. It takes a special commitment to stick with someone 24 hours a day, seven days a week for years at a time. I had a Secret Service agent in my last congregation, and right here in this congregation, we have a State Department security officer, and that's what he does when he's not sitting in our pews. He guards, is, provides security for dignitaries from around the world when they come into New York City. I would imagine if these agents do their jobs well, the president or the dignitaries or the Taylor Swifts of the world, occasionally forget that these security agents are even there. It would be easy to take them and their steadfast commitment to their jobs and to us for granted. But we all need some alone time. There's an old story about an Episcopal priest who started every worship service the same way. And that's not unusual because that's what Episcopalians do in Catholic. They just read out of a book. Uh, I make fun of my Episcopal and Catholic colleagues. It's very easy for them. Uh, this priest began every worship service the way they always begin, by saying, the Lord be with you. And as they had done from time immemorial, the congregation responds, and also with you. That's how it always goes. The Lord be with you and also with you. We do it on communion Sundays. One Sunday, though, this priest, as he stood in the pulpit, was sort of fiddling with his lapel mic, because like mine, it rarely worked like it was supposed to. Uh, and he didn't realize his mic was on, when he offhandedly remarked to himself with a little frustration, there's something wrong with this thing. And immediately the congregation said, and also with you. <laughs> we want to know the Lord is with us. We all need our alone time, and yet we all want to know that we are not alone. That's why we come to church or to mosque, or to synagogue, to pray, or to read from Scripture. We know that there is more to this world than what we experience through our five senses, what we can quantify and measure and control. We've always been that way, we humans. More than 1,600 years ago, St. Augustine wrote, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Whatever force or presence or power made us is where we belong, and we cannot find rest, perfect equilibrium, peace, fulfillment, unless we're with that creative, loving source of who we are. So why is it that I take God's presence for granted? 
if we really believed that the Almighty God, the I Am, the creator of the universe, is always with us, like a really, really good security guard, closer than our very breath, knowing us better and more deeply than we know ourselves, guaranteeing us a peace that passes all understanding, if we really felt that way, knew that deep in our hearts, and trusted the one who made us from the beginning and never will abandon us, wouldn't we be overwhelmed with wonder and gratitude and joy? And wouldn't be, we be willing then to risk anything, try anything? We know it's going to be okay. We can always come home, right? We can step out of the boxes and the confinements and the boundaries that we establish and the walls we hide behind. Of course I would, if I really, really trusted that presence. It's a foundational Presbyterian conviction, by the way. Uh, in uh, what I teach to my classes every year, there's this really beautiful line. There are a lot of really beautiful lines, but one of them goes like this. The church is the body of Christ. Christ gives the church all the gifts necessary to be his body, and the church is therefore to be a community of faith and trusting itself to God alone, even at the risk of losing its life. And the weird, strange, and sad thing is, I just heard that a church nearby in, in our county, a Presbyterian church that's been there for 150 years, is closing pretty soon, closing its doors after 150 years. And I don't know the exact details, all of them, of that church, though I've known it for over 30 years, but a lot of churches are weak today because they did exactly the opposite of our foundational conviction. Instead of taking risks because they know God is with them always, they circled the wagons, played it safe, and just shrank. The church is to be a community of faith entrusting itself to God alone, even at the risk of losing its life. Because ironically, strangely, and miraculously, that's how we find life. That's the issue Moses confronts in our Bible passage today from Exodus. That's the issue we contend with in our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. Which do we want more? The blessings which come from God or God's own self? this deep, intimate relationship of complete trust, which is going to take us places we don't know yet. In Exodus 32, uh, our Bible passage last week, the people of Israel put their faith in Moses instead of the God Moses served. When Moses was away, the people got a little antsy. They started uh, losing their trust in him and in God. They built this substitute God, out of their golden earrings and baubles, a golden calf, they broke from the covenant of, from the God who created them, who called them, who freed them from slavery, who restored their identity as God's chosen people. And the result of what they did is the same thing that happened to Adam and Eve in that deeply original myth story, identity-creating story of humanity. They uh, ended up being separated from God. They tried to go it alone. And there were consequences from that. In Exodus 33 today, God tells Moses that God is still going to fulfill the promises to the children of Israel. 
not because they deserve it, they have not been well behaved, because they're a bunch of human beings after all, but because God is always faithful to God's promises. They will enter Canaan, the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. In fact, an angel of the Lord will go before them to drive out their enemies. God has arranged it all to provide abundance, prosperity, and safety for God's people. The only catch, according to this text, which is a very strange text in Exodus, you don't hear it preached a lot, the only catch is that God's not going to be with them because God's mad. So let me ask us all here again, is it enough to make it to the promised land finally, to be happy, to be content, but to get there without the presence of God? Because the 66 books of the Bible, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New, we talked about it in confirmation today, all those books record what every human person who has ever lived finds out sooner or later, and that is that a major sin, if you want to use that sort of loaded word, what gets us into trouble, in other words, what makes us experience emptiness, in other words, and depression and anxiety and all kinds of pain, what separates us from God, in other words, is our tendency to make our plans into our God. We get them confused, mixed up. I saw a little Twitter exchange on the internet that shows how up to today, even young people, like people of every age from every age, uh, we still use God to rationalize the empty patterns that we keep repeating and repeating and repeating. Remember, I'm using young person internet speak here. Someone named Abby tweeted, I've been in seven car accidents this year. Y'all can't tell me that God doesn't have a plan for me. And then someone, Sinai, someone named Sinai wrote back, girl, sounds like God trying to kill you. <laughs> so it all depends on how you look at it, right? In verse 12 of our passage today, Moses says to the Lord, you've been telling me lead these people, but you've not let me know with whom I'm going to do it. You have said, I know you by name, and you have, you have found favor with me. If you, if you are pleased with me, Teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you and remember that this nation, parentheses, this misbehaved, ungrateful, destructive people, in other words, this bunch of human beings, this regular congregation, this nation is your people. It's, you hear the deepest yearnings of Moses' heart here? This is why he was really a great leader. In his opinion, in Moses' opinion, apparently, according to this text, there is no blessing compared to simply being with God. To knowing God and being known by God in that intimate relationship. Clinical psycho psychologist Larry Crabb wrote in his book, Shattered Dreams, the highest dream we could ever dream the wish that, if granted, would make us happier than any other blessing that we could wish for is to know God and to actually experience God, whatever that might mean. The problem is that we don't believe that the idea is true or possible. We assent to it in our heads, but we don't feel it in our hearts. 
and therefore we don't seek it in our real lives. Moses knew it was real, it was possible, because he had already experienced it. Moses has been in God's presence and experienced God's goodness, not just once, not just twice, already in the book of Exodus. Even though Moses has witnessed God perform awesome miracles on behalf of God's people, if Moses had to choose between these awesome miracles, burning bushes, red seas parting, you know, escaping a much more powerful army, water coming from a rock, if Moses had to choose between those miracles or simply being in God's continuing presence, it's no contest for Moses. He simply wants to be with God. It's already changed his life completely in a 180 or whatever the percentage or the degree it would be. Believe me, Moses did not plan on being Moses as we know him. And the Lord answers him, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. The you here is singular in the Hebrew. Which is a little bit disconcerting if you're one of the other people of God, not just Moses himself. The Lord may be going to Canaan, but he's not going with his people, apparently. And also in the Hebrew, I will give you rest, is also in the singular. God is telling Moses here, I love you. You've been faithful to me. These other folks, no, not so much. And the question is, in this text, has God finally given up on Israel, the people of God, our ancestors? Because if that were true, if God had given up there, you would be sleeping in this morning, probably. You wouldn't be here. This seems like a good place to stop, after all, right? For Moses, for God, would you have blamed either if they had quit? The people deserve it, after all, it seems. These stiff-necked people, God has said, I will withdraw my presence. But you, you're my boy. I'm going to stick with you. I like you, Moses. And then here's the key moment in our text in God's word to us today. Moses said to the Lord, if your presence does not go with us, don't even send us up from here. Don't even send us to the promised land. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? At the time of the emergence of Judaism, right? about 1,000 more or less uh, B.C., 1,000 years, maybe 1,200 years before Christ, other religions were polytheistic. There were many gods. They all had specific functions. All of a sudden, Judaism introduces monotheism, this one unnamed god, uncontrollable, unpredictable, who not, doesn't do what we expect, who does exactly the opposite most of the time. And Moses has made his choice crystal clear. All the blessings of the promised land mean nothing if that god, that one god, is not with all of the people. And that is God's original plan for all of us, for you and for me and for all humanity. Of course, somehow along the way we've gotten off track and away from that plan. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, God says here today, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. 
And this is the point, once again, it's a very Presbyterian, mainline, reformed Protestant point. This relationship with God that you and I need to live, to be alive, is God's choice, not ours. If it were ours, it would go up and down and sideways and be stronger one day than it was the next. God is steadfast. God chooses you every day, every moment of every day. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. What you need, what I need, is what you and I were born to need, created to need, the presence of the living God, which we Christians hold the dear conviction that that presence is the result of Christ's life, death, and resurrection, this amazing sacrifice so that God could be with us every moment of every day. And the truth is, when our plans go off track, and they will, because we will inevitably make gods out of them, confuse them for God, when our plans go off track, when it hurts the most, that's when we are closest to the God who loves us, closest to that presence when we can see through the disguise our plans tend to wear, when our plans usually look so much like God's whom we should worship and trust and put our energies and efforts and resources toward, when we can see through those disguises and let go of them and just look for God, we're going to find ourselves. In her book, Learning to Walk in the Dark, because sometimes God shows up at night, the Episcopal author and priest and preacher Barbara Brown Taylor writes, those of us who wish to draw near to God should not be surprised when our vision goes cloudy because this is a sign that we are approaching the opaque splendor of God. If we decide to keep going beyond that point where our eyes or minds are any help to us, then we may finally arrive at the pinnacle of our spiritual journey. And then she continues, I cannot say for sure when my reliable ideas about God and my plans for myself began to slip away. But the big chest I used to keep them in is smaller than a shoebox now. Most of the time, I feel so ashamed about this that I do not own up to it unless someone else mentions it first. Then we find a quiet place where we can talk about what it is like to feel more and more devoted to a relationship that we are less and less able to say anything about. God is always indescribable, and yet the love God has for you, for me, and for this world is more real than anything we could ever possibly know. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Lord, thank you for choosing us again and again, for showing mercy and love to those whom you choose. Thank you that you are not controlled by our plans or our performance, but rather simply it is in your nature to love, to build relationship, to bring us back home, to give us back ourselves, and to help us, having found you and been found by you, to share that same gift with others. In Christ we pray. Amen.